Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Be continuing in our Philippians series. Title of the message this morning is The Cure for Complacency. The cure, I feel like I need to like stand over here because everybody's on this side of the thing. The cure for complacency. Um, obviously, this is these next few verses here, verses 12 through 16 is what we're going to be going through. It's really part of what Paul was already saying, what Eric uh, preached through the last couple of weeks. And so really, as we look at what Paul has to say, it's a continuation of the same thought. It's, it's taking what he's already said, and it's taking it another step further. And, and I think we'll see that as we look at it this morning. And we'll probably look back a little bit some at even what Eric had to say last week. The cure for complacency. The big idea this morning is this. When we truly believe that Jesus is better, do you remember that? right, from last week, when we truly believe that Jesus is better, it changes our perspective, pursuits, and priorities, conforming us to the image of Christ. I'll say that one more time. When we truly believe that Jesus is better, it changes our perspective, pursuits, and priorities, conforming us to the image of Christ. Let me ask you, how did you come to church this morning? And I don't mean, you know, would you ride a car or van or motorcycle or whatever? I'm, I mean, how did you come to church spiritually this morning? Where was your mind? Where was your heart as you came in? Did you come in to church this morning simply out of a habit? This is the thing that we always do. This is what's expected of me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a covenant member of the church, so I better be there or one of the elders are probably going to be calling me or knocking on my door eventually and <laughs> wondering what's going on. Yeah. Why, did you, why did you come this morning? How did you come this morning? What, was, what is the, the heart attitude that you had when you walked in those doors this morning? When's the last time you took the time to study the Bible? And I mean really study the Bible, not just open it up and read a few verses for the day and hope that that gives you some mystical good feelings to make it through your day. When's the last time you, you took the time to study the Bible, to see what God is like, what Jesus is like, and to understand him? Have you found it hard to pray for others recently? Have you set aside maybe that time in your day that, that was given to prayer and, and the only time you come before the Lord is to thank him for the meal with your family. See, the longer we are walking in the Christian life, the easier it is for us to become complacent with where we're at. We kind of get used to, to where we're at. If, we're not, if we're, we go through a period of time where we don't see Growth, where we don't see that we're maturing, that we're getting more like Christ. If we're not careful, we can come to this place of complacency. We all know that we have struggles. We all know uh, that there's certain areas in our life that we're likely to fall in. 
And maybe you've tried to change those areas and, and those changes that you've put in place haven't really stuck. You, you haven't, you've given up on those New Year's resolutions. Um, and nobody talks about New Year's resolutions in, in September. Because <laughs> most of them, it seems, are pretty much gone, right? But spiritually, are, have, you, have you given in? Have you, do you feel like your, your Christian life is just kind of walking in circles? Like the, the Israelites in the, in the wilderness, is your Christian life a wilderness wandering? Well, that is the result of complacency in the Christian life. If you look at your Christian life, if you look at your spiritual growth and you say, this is as good as it gets, that's complacency. That's complacency. If you find yourself there this morning, let me encourage you, you don't have to stay. You don't have to stay there. Paul's going to give us the cure for complacency here in Philippians chapter 3. In fact, he's already given it to us. Uh, Eric talked about it last week, so this should be a short message, right? Um, no, we're going, to, we're going to continue on. We're going to take it further. Um, but he's already given us the cure for complacency, and that is understanding that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now, most of what Eric talked about last week was in reference to salvation, which is where that part of the passage is, is discussing it, right? Jesus is better than all my earthly works could ever attain for myself in regards to salvation, in regards to what, what, how God sees me and whether or not God will accept me. And Jesus is better because he was perfect, because his sacrifice was perfect, and there's nothing that I could ever do to match what Jesus has done, to even come close to what Jesus has done for me in the area of salvation. Knowing Jesus intimately is better than any of the works that, that we can accomplish. Knowing Jesus is better than simply being saved from hell. It's more than just a fire escape. That's, that's something that, that Eric brought out last week. Knowing Jesus intimately is better than any other thing that we could pursue, and that's even after salvation. It is the realization that Jesus is better, that a personal relationship with Christ is better, that if we truly understand and believe, it will drive us out of our complacency and into a life of continual sanctification. Is that not what we desire? I don't know very many Christians who become Christians and then just hope that they're just as bad and wicked as they've always been. I don't think that they would truly be Christians because when we become followers of Jesus Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and he gives us the desire to serve Christ. He gives us the desire to know Christ. He gives us the desire to change, to become like Christ. And so... It is that desire that we must pursue if those, change, if those changes are actually going to take place. Jesus is better, is more than just Jesus is better for salvation. It's Jesus is better for my spiritual growth. The first point I want to look at in this passage here, starting in verse 12, is that when Jesus is better, our perspective changes. When Jesus is better, our perspective changes. I want to give you a quick litmus test for complacency. 
in this specific area. Quick, quick litmus test. Take, take this test and ask yourself this question. What is, my what is my perspective of personal sanctification and growing more? What is my perspective on growing more to become like Jesus Christ? When I look at myself, when I evaluate myself, how do I think I'm doing? Do I feel like I've, I've got it under control? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've, I've, made, some, I've made some good steps forward. I've, I, 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 feel like, I feel pretty confident in what's going on spiritually for me. Or when I look at my, my spiritual life and, I, and my perspective on that, it, do I look at it and say, man, I have just, <laughs> I, I have just failed. I, I, it seems like I haven't moved forward in forever. What's your perspective on your spiritual life? On your sanctification, that's that process of being made into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification means. What's What's your perspective on that? Paul has a very important perspective here in verse 12 of chapter three. He says this, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's look at that first phrase there. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul's statement that Jesus is more is not only for salvation, but also for sanctification. That process of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. And even with everything that Paul has accomplished in his life, his confidence is not in his works. His confidence is only in Christ for salvation and for sanctification. You know, we look at Paul and he's given us that list, right? He's saying, Jesus is better than all these things that I've done for salvation. But even after salvation, we look at Paul and we say, man, you know, Paul's, Paul's done a lot of good things, right? We, we, we talk through a lot of the things that Paul went through, um, shipwrecks and beatings and, and persecutions and all kinds of things that Paul has willingly laid his life on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet here when he writes to the Philippians, how does, what's his perspective on his spiritual growth? What's his perspective? It's not that I have already obtained. Not that I have already attained. He says, not that I've already obtained this. What's the this that he's talking about? Well, it goes back up to the verses that Eric was preaching through last week, starting in verse number 10. It's these five things that he mentions. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Those are the things that he's talking about. I have not attained this yet. I've not made it. I don't have these things completely. Again, what are those things? He says that I may know him. Eric mentioned last week, that's that experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge, what in the world does that mean? Well, I saw a light. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're talking about, right? Experiential knowledge is knowing Christ, not just knowing about Christ, but knowing him in such a way that it impacts and affects who we are and what we do. 
There is an enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of who God is. We truly know him. It impacts us. It makes a difference to us. Ephesians chapter 1. I wasn't sure if I was going to jump here, so I didn't put it on the slides. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 1, though, if you remember, we went through Ephesians a while ago. (laughs) Um, But Ephesians chapter 1 in verse uh, 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. And then he kind of explains what that is. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, right? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you can understand truly who Christ is, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that you would have hope See, if you just have this this mental understanding of who Jesus is, there's no hope in that. It's when you experience Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you understand your eyes are open, the eyes of your heart are open, and you have hope that the world does not have. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. There is something about knowing Jesus in an intimate way that changes how we see the world. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we interact with God. He's not just this distant being anymore. He's not just one who is angry at our sin. He is our loving father. And as Paul says, we cry out to him, Abba, Daddy. That's that personal relationship. It's more than just head knowledge. It's knowing him in a way that when you go through hardship and trouble and trials and and struggle, you have peace. Not because you have a mental understanding, a, a theology of God, but because you know God. Because God has been proven faithful in your life. That I may know him. Did Paul not know Christ? He says, not that I have obtained this. Sure, Paul knew Christ. I I would argue that Paul knew Christ better than any of us ever will. And yet, what did he want? He wanted more. He wanted more. I want to know him more. I've not obtained all the knowledge of Christ that I can. I want to know him more. And the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, what is that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you read Romans 1, it tells us the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. We sing that song. The the, the power that raised him from the grave dwells where? In us. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And Paul says, I want to experience that more. I want to see the Holy Spirit working more. You think, man, Paul, I mean, you've seen thousands of people get saved over your lifetime through your preaching. And you've, you know, you, you've healed people. You've, you've done miracles. 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I want to see more. I've not attained yet. There's still more that the Holy Spirit is going to do. And that I may share in his sufferings. Who's he writing to? Philippians, right? We have the great story in Acts of the Philippian jailer, right? We, we know that they were persecuted. They know that he's been persecuted. And he says what? I want more. Now, it wasn't that Paul enjoyed persecution. It was that he knew Jesus was of such great value. He wanted anything that was gonna make him closer to Christ, including suffering, including persecution. Being like him in his death, Paul willing to lay down his life at any moment for the gospel. And then he says this, attain to the resurrection from the dead. This one at this time, Paul certainly, he hadn't died yet. So he, he wasn't able to get to heaven. So when you look at that list, I think in human circumstances, human thinking, we look at that and like, okay, there's two of them. Two of them that make sense, Paul. I mean, you've done all these great things. You haven't died yet and you haven't gone to glory. That, that makes sense. But yet he wants more. He's not content to be where he is in his spiritual life. He wants to grow. He wants to know Christ more. He wants to see Christ working in his life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants, to, he wants to lay down his life. He wants to even take on suffering for Christ. He says, I've not, I've not obtained that. I'm not there yet. He goes on and says, or am I perfect? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect, guys. And again, Paul, we look at him and, and, man, if there's anybody who was close besides Jesus, I mean, would, would we not rank him near the top? Paul says, let me remind you, I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I think we have this lofty view of Paul um, because we just have the scripture you know, we just have all the great doctrines that he's given us and, and, and just his joy in the Lord. I think, I think the Philippians probably knew that he, was, he wasn't perfect, you know? I mean, you guys know that I'm not perfect. Uh, if you don't, then you haven't spent enough time around me. Um, you know, they spent time with Paul, right? They knew him. Surely they knew that he wasn't perfect. These are not new things that he's telling them. I'm not perfect, but Paul was again showing them that there is a mindset. When we, when we truly understand, we truly believe that Jesus is better, not just for salvation, but for sanctification, for, for helping me grow to become like Christ. The, the works that I try to do to muster that are nothing compared to the power of Christ, nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He says, when you have that, it will change your perspective on where you're at spiritually. When you have that desire, that's what you're pursuing is the knowledge of Christ. It will change your view of sin. Paul understood that sin lies at the door. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
Romans 7, 21 through 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sins that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul understood that no matter how much we become like Christ, we still have the flesh. We will still fight this daily battle. I think all of us here would be willing to say that we're not perfect. You know, we, we know the sins that we struggle with. We know, uh, we know the areas of our weakness in our spiritual life. Unfortunately, I think this is one of the areas where complacency really sets in. See, if we're not careful, we can see those areas of, of sin and, and failure that we, that we keep falling into over and over and over again. And at some point, we can just kind of become complacent. Be like, well, this is as good as it's going to get. This is, this is as far as I'm going. I obviously don't have what it takes to get further on. And we become accepting of that. And our perspective changes from, I need to change. This, this is not good enough. I need more. I need Christ. The things that Paul is pursuing, our perspective changes to, eh, I'm good. A few years ago, we, we kind of coined this phrase, being satisfied with our dissatisfaction. Anybody remember that? Being satisfied with our dissatisfaction. That's just another way of saying being complacent. Being satisfied with being unsatisfied and where we're at spiritually. Well, this is as good as it's going to get. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that there are areas you need to grow and change to be like Christ. Maybe you've struggled and worked and labored to make changes on your own and you've not seen the results that you expect. Perhaps you've just given up. Paul has something to say about that. See, he continues on in this verse. He says, but I press on to make it my own. He says, I have not attained. That's the reality. I have not attained this and I'm not perfect. But what do I do about it? I press on to make it my own, literally to, to take hold of it, to grasp it. Even though he knew that he would never that, that Christ-likeness would never fully happen on earth, even though he knew that he would fail over and over and over again, even though he knew the body of flesh and sin would engage in daily battle until death, Paul says, I press on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Not because I'm a super Christian. Not because I'm just better than you. But I press on because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Think about that reality. Just for a minute. Even knowing that we would fail 
over and over and over again. Even knowing that, that we would be drawn to pursue worldliness instead of holiness. Even knowing that we would take every good work that, that he does through us and claim it as our own. As if we've done something spectacular. Even with that, Christ has made us his own. Are you grateful for that this morning? Paul is shouting from the rooftops, Jesus is better than my earthly self-sufficient works, not just for salvation, but for this everyday struggle in the Christian life. Because Paul understood that the Christian life is not about the great works that he could claim, but rather about a relationship with the one who had claimed him. Is that your perspective this morning? Are you caught up in trying to fulfill a list of works that you think will earn you favor? Are you caught up in in looking a certain way for certain people to get their approval? Are you caught up in in just trying to create outward change so uh, so that you're pursuing that instead of pursuing Christ? Paul continues in Philippians 13, 3.13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's just kind of repeating the same thing, right? He's going he's to take us a step further. He's, gonna, he's wrapping up his point. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's like, Philippians, I'm not there. I'm not there. You may, you may regard me highly, but I'm not there. But this is what I do. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. When we understand that our relationship with Jesus is better than our self-righteous works, we don't worry about what lies behind. Paul obviously did that with salvation. He said, all those good works that I had, they're worthless, they're trash, they're rubbish when we look at Christ. But even in sanctification, every good work that Paul had done before Christ is in the past. Every amazing miracle that he'd been a part of after Christ is in the past. Every powerful sermon he had preached is in the past. Forget it all. All of it. He says, I, I, I forget it all. Even the bad. His self-righteousness is in the past. His pleasure at the stoning of Stephen is in the past. His violence against Christ's church is in the past. Part of living in the reality that Jesus is better means living, leaving the past in the past. Leaving the past in the past. So are there going to be consequences today? Sure. Consequences happen. Life choices create consequences. That's a, that's a reality of life. But when Jesus is better, the past means nothing. 
When Jesus is better, our perspective changes so that we are not looking at the things of the past, whether the good things that we have done or the bad things that we have done. Our successes before Christ or after Christ, our failures before Christ or after Christ, all of it is in the past. Forgetting those things, forgetting what lies behind and instead straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's not merely forgetting the past, but he's actively moving forward. You know, I I think sometimes this can be another area of complacency, right? You know, we may be really, really good at forgetting the past. You know, oh, I, I, I forgive myself all the time, right? I'm really good at forgiving myself. But Paul says there's another step there, right? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's not not just forgetting the past. He's moving forward actively. There's motion. There's action here. His perspective is driving him to do something. I love the word that the ESV uses here. It says straining. It's effort. He's not, he's not simply expecting to just kind of be carried along spiritually and end up like Christ somehow. There's work, there's effort, there's going to be hardship, there's going to be war with the flesh. And he says, I'm doing it, I'm straining. How could Paul strain forward? Well, he says it right here, I strain forward to something to what lies ahead. What exactly lies ahead? Paul is sitting in prison in a, in a house, has some small amount of freedom, but chained to a, to a, a guard. What does he have to look forward to? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. This is what Paul was straining towards. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the imperishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he conclude this? Therefore, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Have you forgotten what lies ahead? When you look at your spiritual life and, and, and you say, you know what, maybe I am a little bit complacent, is it because you've forgotten the end? You've forgotten the glory that is to come? 
Have you forgotten that we will one day receive new bodies no longer under the law of sin? As we read about in Romans chapter 7. Have you forgotten that we will all one day give an account of how we stewarded this gift of grace? Paul said, because Jesus is better, my perspective has changed. No longer do I glory in my earthly accomplishments. No longer do I glory about the things of the past. No longer do I give up because of this war in my flesh. Rather, I know the end and I pursue it with all my might. Is that how you're living the Christian life? Secondly, when Jesus is better, our pursuit changes. Our pursuit changes. Another litmus test for you for complacency. What are you pursuing right now? Are you pursuing anything spiritually? Are your pursuits only the things of this fleshly life, the things that, that I desire, the things that I want, the things that will make me feel happy? Is there any spiritual pursuit? Verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This, this phrase, I press on, is the word dioko or diaco. Dioko. It means to pursue has the idea that, that you're chasing something down to catch it. Every morning when I get up, I let the dogs out. And many of you know we have a lot of trees in our backyard, and with trees come squirrels. And, um, you know, they, they like to be down gathering nuts. And when we unlock the door, and then you've got the screen door, and the dogs are like, you know, the nose is right there. And you just crack that door open enough and boom, they're out. And they're chasing after those squirrels, man. They are, they are intent on getting one. I think, I think the only one they've gotten is from when the trees fell down. But, um, but they try every time, man. They are pursuing. They are going after it. They, they are doing everything they can to catch one of those squirrels. That's the idea. Paul says, I am pressing on, I am pursuing, I am doing everything I can to catch this, to grasp this. Because Jesus is better, because Jesus has made me his own, I'm going to pursue. What are you pursuing this morning? Is it financial comfort? Is it maybe a fitness goal? Is it Greatness in educational prowess? Is it just outward moral superiority? What are you pursuing? The reality is we're all pursuing something. Either we're pursuing Christ and knowing him or we're pursuing ourselves and making ourselves happy. Paul says, I'm pursuing, I'm chasing down something. What is he chasing down? He says, I, I press on toward the goal. That word there is to be understood as something, as a target, something that someone aims a weapon at, right? There, there's something that I'm shooting for. I, I'm pursuing and I'm chasing and it's after a specific thing. It's after a specific object. What is the goal, the aim of the Christian life? Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
To what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Galatians 4, 18 through 19. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until what? Until Christ is formed in you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to what? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal that Paul was pursuing, being more like Christ. Christ. And if we're complacent in our Christian walk this morning, it's because we spend so little time with Christ that we no longer desire to be like him. Let me say that again. If you find yourself complacent this morning in your Christian walk, it's because you don't spend enough time with Christ. You don't spend enough time with Christ to desire to be like him. Paul wasn't just pursuing Christ's likeness, but also he was, he was, pressing on for the prize, the prize of the upward calling of God. What is this prize? Some commentators view this just as a of going to heaven. And I think that's part of it. But the prize of the upward calling of God goes hand to hand with the goal because I'm pursuing this goal of Christ's likeness and I'm gonna keep pursuing until I attain the prize of the upward calling of God because it is at that point when I am changed with a new body that I will be like him. Do you realize that? We'll never be like Christ completely here on this earth while we have this flesh. But one day when God calls us home, we will. We will be like Christ. We, we look at this process of sanctification and it's almost, in some ways, it's not surprising that we become complacent because it's almost hopeless, right? It almost feels like, well, I'm never gonna get there. Why do I have to keep trying? Because there's a prize and we are going to get it. We will one day be like Christ. One day when we are called home, there will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more shame because we will be like the one who has redeemed us. We like to talk about heaven, don't we? We like to talk about the streets of gold. We like to talk about what the mansions might be like. We like to talk about the people that we might get to see there. But how often do we talk about, how often do we glory in the prize, the real prize, which is Christ-likeness? When we think of heaven, do we think in those terms, is that what we're pursuing? Are we pursuing Christ-likeness, not just as an earthly goal, but with the realization that we will attain it? 
when God calls us home? Is that what motivates your Christian walk? Are you satisfied with the trinkets of earth or do you long to be with and to be like your Savior? How often and how sad is it that we don't desire to be like Paul when he said, absent from the body is present with the Lord. But I've got so many more things that I need to do, that I want to do, that I want to experience. We don't understand that Jesus is better. What are you pursuing this morning? Finally, when Jesus is better, our priority changes. Our priority changes. Litmus test for complacency. What do you prioritize above the truth of Scripture? What is more important to you than the truth of Scripture? Maybe even what other truths are more important than the truth of Scripture? I actually have that question for you in the A&I time if you get there. It's at the end. What's more important to you than knowing the truth of Scripture? He says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul emphasizes that this idea, this concept of understanding that Jesus is better is a sign of spiritual maturity. When you have this, it's gonna change your priorities. It's gonna make you understand that I want to be mature in Christ. It's a sign of maturity. My priorities have changed from the things of the world. They've changed to seeking after knowing Christ. This is a mature way of thinking. It's a change of our priorities. It's interesting, he says, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What is he saying there? If anything you think otherwise, Paul's making the statement here, just kind of reminding us, hey, you know, there, there are many aspects of our life that this reality of Jesus is better interacts with. Again, it's not just salvation. It's not just sanctification. Jesus is better than everything we pursue in every area of our life. He is better. He is more valuable. He is worth it. Yet so often it's easy for us to maybe put him in boxes, right? Well, I'll, I'll pursue knowing Christ in, in my church box, but when it comes to my, my work box, Christ doesn't really matter there. Because, you know, I, I just write code. That doesn't, Christ doesn't matter when it comes to writing code. Jesus is better and more important and, more, and a higher priority than anything else in our life. And when we have that perspective, it changes our priorities. It changes whether or not I spend that extra hour working instead of doing something that is going to please Christ. It changes our priorities. He says, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Are you thankful that God continues to work? Even when we are complacent and we, even when we find ourselves in this, this state of our spiritual life where we're wandering around in a wilderness in circles, God is still working. He's still working. He's still working to show us where our priorities need to be. And, and Paul continues on here in verse 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
That, I, that word hold true has this idea of to, to bring something back into line with a standard, right? This isn't talking about grasping onto something, right? He's not saying, hang on for your life. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He uses that in other places, right? He's not saying, let us, let's hold true, hold fast. He's saying, let's hold true. Let's, let's come up alongside. Let's be made right with the standard, the standard that is Christ-likeness. Is that our priority? Is that your priority when you go home, when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you deal with the kids, when you do anything? Is your priority Christ-likeness? He says that is how the mature think. When we truly understand that Jesus is better, we will seek to pursue that reality in every area of our lives, to bring every area of our life into conformity to his perfect example. This will be our one aim, our one goal, and our one priority. This morning as you came to church could you honestly say that I'm living in the reality that Jesus is better? Am I not just realizing and trusting that for salvation, but am I living in that reality every day of my life? Am I pursuing him, knowing him every day of my life because he is of so much more worth? If not, I would invite you to come before the Lord this morning and lay it at his feet. He's calling us here to, to come back into line, to, to bring ourselves back into this right relationship with Christ. And he's willing to forgive. You don't have to live in the wilderness of Christianity. You can live growing day after day after day after day if we simply keep our eyes on Christ. I thought it was fitting that Eric chose that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Are you living like that this morning? Father, we thank you for Christ, we thank you for his perfect sacrifice. Lord, we, we stand in awe of your grace and of your love for us. Lord, you are a holy God. You are a righteous God and you demand holiness and perfection and righteousness from us. And yet we are sinners. You tell us in your word that not only have we simply sinned, but we, we are your enemies. We are, we are fighting against you. But you loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. To live a perfect life so that he could lay down that perfect life so that he could pay the price that we could never pay, the price that we would pay for all eternity in a place called hell if it were not for your grace. 
And we thank you that 2,000 years ago, you poured out your wrath that was meant for us on your perfect son. And in doing so, you punished the punishment that we deserved. And you gave us the righteousness that Christ had earned. And because of that, we can stand before you as those who have believed in Jesus and have desired to follow you. We can stand before you this morning as children, as adopted sons and daughters, not because of any works or good things found in us, but because Jesus is better. Lord, I pray that we would not just be grateful for that reality of salvation, but I pray that it would impact the way that we live our daily life. That we would realize that Jesus is better, that pursuing knowing Christ every moment of every day is better than anything this earth has to offer. May we do that not so that we can look back and pat ourselves on the back and see what great things we've done, but see how much you have changed us simply by gazing at the perfect and holy and righteous Son of God. May you be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.